Good morning or early afternoon, boxing fans around the world. Hopefully you're noticing, as many of our other platforms have noticed, we have a new audio setup, improved audio quality, because we're always trying to improve. And we hit the 200 subscribers mark, which we appreciate. Everybody new to the channel. We're doing a lot of big things. We formalized the Lifeblood of Boxing series now as its own program under Combat Talk Radio. So now we got two programs Masterpiece Boxing, formerly known as For the Love of Boxing, it's now Masterpiece Boxing. That's where this one's being posted. Masterpiece Boxing, check that out. It has its own playlist. And then we got Lifeblood of Boxing, and it's a separate program, separate playlist. And that one showcases all the fighters who give you the fights that you deserve, and they reignite your love of this beautiful sport. CombatTalkRadio.net is our site. I do encourage you to check that out. And anybody you think would benefit or just they're a boxing fan, you know, and you want them to get unbiased, neutral, central coverage of all these beautiful fights that are happening, ones we think are worth your time, just send them to combattalkradio.net, let them check out our stuff, and if they like it, tell them to subscribe. Also, just a side note, if you check out our content, please do feel free to like and share individual content coverage that we do. Likes help us greatly. Comments help us greatly. Responses help us greatly. Shares help us greatly. Engagement helps us greatly. Please do that. It helps us. It helps us keep the steam going. Of course, CombatTalkRadio.net covers every Friday all the fights that are coming up and then any news that at least we're aware of. Sometimes we're not aware of it. But anytime we see something that we think is worth your time or energy, then we'll go ahead and cover those. And we don't cover every single fight. There's too many of them. Just the ones we think are worth your time, either because of new guys coming up or guys that were kind of on the decline or signature fights, something where we think it's worth your time. That's what we're ultimately looking at. So let's go into our schedule here for this weekend. And at the top of the list, these are fights scheduled to happen today. Some of them are in the UK, so they may actually be happening. If not, as I speak, probably shortly after. So if you're in the UK, you may want to try to check these in. Uh, at the top, we got Lewis Ritson versus uh, Dejan Zakanen. And this is happening at the Newcastle Arena out in the UK. I don't, I haven't followed either guy directly, to be honest. Uh, Lewis Ritson, I know, is a quality fighter. Zakanen, of course, is a quality fighter. And if you followed, like Zakanen, if I focus on him, or what is it, Zadokanen? I believe it's Zadokanen. If you followed him, he's had some kind of ups and downs at one point he I remember he was positioned to be a mandatory uh at I'm pretty sure it was welterweight wasn't it he was positioned to be a mandatory and they were talking about him because of his you know kind of knockouts and he was a kind of a dominant fighter and then all of a sudden he just dropped off the radar and nobody knew okay what the heck's going on with this dude but I still think he's a solid fighter uh He's kind of on the decline since the Mikey Garcia fight. That was the one where they were looking at him like the next big thing. And, of course, he took a loss to uh, Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia, I believe, knocked him out. I'm pretty sure that was true. And then he fought Abdullah, and then Abdullah decisioned him. So, but if you look at the two fight, the two fighters, rather, Abdullah is no soft touch. He's kind of prospect level at this point, but he's a decent fighter. That's a decision loss. Nothing to shake your head at. At the time that he fought Mikey Garcia, of course, that was 2017 when he fought Mikey. And that was a different Mikey. You know, those that don't know the history of Mikey Garcia, Mikey Garcia used to be regarded as one of the next big things in boxing at a point. And then his career got derailed because of what happened with 
Bob Arum when he was under top rank. And he never really was the same since. But, it, you know, around this time, 2017, 2018, he was beating top, he was beating solid guys. I won't say top guys, but solid guys. He was the first to beat Bunny, Robert Easter Jr. Uh, he beat Lippinets, and I'm pretty sure he took Lippinets undefeated. And then he beat Broner. So he was beating solid fighters, and this is en route to Errol Spence. And then, of course, Errol Spence blows him out. 12 round, it wasn't close at all. I don't think Mikey went around, even though he was fist pumping after the rounds. Mikey went on some kind of a mental decline after taking that loss to Spence, because then, of course, he fought Jesse Vargas. Jesse Vargas was not using his size to deal with Mikey Garcia like I felt he should have. That fight pissed me off. I was I was really upset because Jesse could have beat that man. And if Jesse would have beaten Mikey Garcia, it would have positioned him back up in the ranks. That's not to say that Jesse Vargas is a top fighter. That's my point. Jesse Vargas was initially brilliant against Mikey, and then he gets dropped. And then Vargas never fought the same after that when he could have. It was a close, I felt, a close decision win for Mikey. But... I think that's because Jesse Vargas threw it away. He wasn't fighting like I felt like he should have. Then, of course, most recently, this was in October, he fought Mikey, fought Sandor Martin. Nobody thought Sandor Martin was going to win. Like Sandor, Sandor Martin had been fighting a long time, so it's not about pedigree, but it's levels. Like if we talk rankings, Jesse Vargas at least was ranked. This is a guy who had fought Broner, a guy who had fought Mike, uh, Manny Pacquiao. So Jesse Vargas at least had some ranking, some standing, some credibility in the business. When Mikey fought Sandor Martin, nobody gave Sandor Martin any chance of winning, much less surviving against Mikey Garcia. But Mikey Garcia came in flabby. And Mikey, for whatever reason, again, after Spence, it's like he started having eating issues and people have been telling him, you need to go back down to 140, dude, because just like with Broner, it seemed like they were better when they were at the lower classes, but they see the monies at 147, I guess. Sandor Martin pulls it out and gets a win against Mikey Garcia. Probably the biggest win he'll ever have. I'm being honest. It's Again, Martin has a credential. He's been fighting a long time, but it's levels. From a levels perspective, Sandor Martin was nowhere near Mikey Garcia's class, and he was able to pull that out and beat Mikey Garcia. I was stunned. I was shocked. So <laughs> the why I told this whole background story, the version of Mikey Garcia that Zlatikanen fought was a much superior fighter Mentally, It's not even about physical. Mentally, at the time, it was a signature win when you look at that version of Mikey Garcia for Mikey to have beaten Zlatikainen because Zlatikainen was coming. It's just he got knocked out. And then Abdullah again, is another solid prospect-level fighter, and that's a decision win for Abdullah. Now Zlatikainen's coming back. He's got two losses, but he's still a game fighter. It's not like he's on a significant decline. If anything, it seems like he was on a recovery and he just met the wrong opponent. So this is kind of his get back. Same with Lewis Ritson. I think it's Lewis Ritson's get back as well. And the key, like I said, I've never, I haven't followed either guy heavily. What I recall of Lewis Ritson is Lewis Ritson has never stood out to me. He's never, and most of that's with the guys he's fought. I think the most notable opponent, if I'm recalling, is what Miguel Vasquez and that was 2020 that I think he fought Miguel Vasquez everybody else that you know I'm not really rating Robbie Davis Jr. I know he's kind of a eye test prospect I don't really rate him uh Jeremiah Ponce I don't really rate him he's a decent fighter but I don't rate him I'm, I'm saying uh, you know and Lewis Ritson's had some losses Ponce being of course one of them those uh that beat him by stoppage but I don't, I don't know. I personally don't. If I look, though, 
at Miguel Vasquez. Miguel Vasquez is a highly regarded fighter, but he was at the tail end of his career, well past the sell date. So that's obvious, clear, crystal clear. He was well past the sell date. And that was close. Like, I was shocked at how well Vasquez was able to pull it out. And that's not a ding against Vasquez. He's a great fighter, but he was well past the sell date by the time Ritson got in there. And then to just go that close on the decision was kind of weird. People said that, well, it was home cooking and all that. I didn't see that. I felt like Vasquez was there to fight and he was there to try to win and he didn't get it pulled out and you could make a case either way on that fight in, from my eyes. But this is why I never really highly followed Ritson because I never saw that much in his resume as of late. He seems like he kind of fell off a little bit. So now fast forward and with Ritson fighting Vladikanen, you're dealing with two guys that have had some issues in their recent fight history. And now they're kind of coming together. And I would argue this is a make or break for both guys. Because if Ritson takes another loss, they both have two losses and their records are pretty similar and their pedigrees are pretty similar. But I would argue the twos, Latikanen's the one that has the highest probability of recovery. He's the one that feels like he could be rebuilt if he had the right team behind him and he had the right placement and the right uh, positioning from a promotional perspective. I think Latikanen is the only one that could move forward. I don't see Lewis Ritson moving forward, in my opinion, unless he had, in true fashion, some home cooking. That's my instinct telling me that. I could be way off, but that's what I see of the two guys on that fight. And again, that's in the UK, Newcastle Arena. I don't have a time on it. All I can tell you is that it's at the Newcastle Arena. Uh, it looks like it's on Eurosport. I don't know that network because I'm not in the UK. And then uh, football sports network also is doing it I'm assuming Sky would have to carry it I am a familiar with Sky I, I don't know 100% and the undercard doesn't have anything special so if you're going to dial in for that one you're dialing in for the main event is my is what I'm saying that's taking place at super lightweight so if you're going to check that out um, this would tell you who potentially could be in the mix to go against guys like say Josh Kelly uh, next, because Josh Kelly's another one that's kind of on the rebuild. Not rebuild, but kind of build, building back up given the pandemic is what I, what I mean. Um, so if you choose to check it, like I said, I don't think that the undercard's going to thrill you that much. I would, My guess is the undercard's going to be like, eh, this is whatever the heck. If there is, let's say that Lewis Ritson pulls it out. Let's say that Ritson's able to get it done. The number one fight that would likely happen next, assuming he's not going to duck it, would be against Josh Taylor. And you're like, why? Because it's when you have fights against two UK fighters going against each other, they always sell. When because they support their guys more than the overseas, I think. That's my opinion. I think Josh Kelly, because he's kind of coming back up a little bit from losing some steam because he took a loss, Josh Kelly would be another fight if Lewis Ritten pulled it out. Josh Kelly would be a good position fight. Like it would help put somebody that got at least some decent win for Josh Kelly to fight to kind of put him back in in the forefront. And of course, Kelly lost to Avanesian. And Kelly's not a terrible fighter. I think he's just been positioned very weird. And unfortunately, because of the way he's been positioned, he's been kind of slightly exposed just a little bit. I think Ray Robinson exposed him. That was 2019. And Avanasian certainly did expose him. That was a stoppage that just happened in uh, 2021. So I, my gut tells me that if Lewis Ritten pulls it out, 
Josh Kelly would be the best match to make for both guys. But I think the promoters, the bookers, they're going to want a position if Ritson wins to fight Josh Taylor, assuming Josh Taylor doesn't move up right away. There's other guys, Tommy Coyle. I, I don't I don't think that fight makes any sense. Uh, Regis Prograce, he's coming off a win very recently. I don't think it does anything for Prograce. I think Prograce would not want that fight. Even if Ritson won, it doesn't do anything for Prograce. It'd be all about Ritson. It'd be like feeding Prograce to Ritson. And to me, Prograce knocks him the heck out. So I, to me, the fight that would make sense would be if Ritson wins, would be Ritson against Josh Kelly. I think the bookers would try to book Ritson against Josh Taylor, assuming Josh Taylor stays at 140 for the short term, because given what happened with Catterall, with Taylor, I think they're going to want to try to put him back in the limelight as a killer, and Lewis Ritson would fit that bill, because I think that Josh Taylor would have an easier time against Lewis Ritson than he would have had uh, against Catterall, even when you even before the Catterall fight, I, I felt that was the case uh, and then tomorrow so that was the biggest fight I see today that's today and again because UK it's probably happening here shortly in a few hours from when I record this tomorrow so that's the Saturday March 26 the big fight on the docket is Kiko Martinez versus Josh Warrington and again it's another one I haven't followed either guy I'm sparsely familiar with with uh, Kiko Martinez sparsely familiar with Josh Warrington this is happening also in the UK, but it's tomorrow, so I cover here. At the First Direct Arena, it's going to be broadcast on DAZN. The, again, the undercard I don't think is going to really thrill you that much, in my opinion. It's basically a regional type event, even though it's a world title. It's for the uh, IBF featherweight belt. And Kiko Martinez, I, I don't want to call him, I don't want to call him a veteran but he kind of is a veteran. <laughs> I don't want to call him that because I think it's just premature, but he essentially is a veteran. Essentially, he is. Kiko Martin is, of course, the, the most notable win on this dude's resume, bar none, was his absolute stoppage of Kid Galahad. And Kid Galahad is not significantly highly regarded, but he's a well-known fighter. He was a very well, let's say, publicized fighter. And Nobody expected Kiko Martinez to be able to do what he did to Kid Galahad. Nobody expected that at all. And his only loss in um, Kiko Martinez, or not only loss, but his most damaging loss, I should say. Of course, Kiko Martinez, he does have a quite a few losses, and that's why I say he kind of qualifies as a vet because how many total fights he's had, but at the same time, it's not like he has a barn burner list of people that he's fought over time it's just he's just kind of been positioned he's also been positioned I would say he's been positioned against guys that were they needed him to look good against so like Mr. Gary Russell Jr. in 2019 and Gary Russell stopped him that was really helping Mark Russell it wasn't going to help Martinez he was being fed clearly to Russell and other guys and then if you go down his record Galahad is the biggest one that you can think of uh, on the list anybody else it's like whatever you know um and so there was kind of chatter about Galahad getting a rematch against Kiko Martinez that hasn't happened instead we ended up with uh the fight that's at the top of the billing here tomorrow which is against Josh Warrington with Josh Warrington again he's a known fighter in the UK and I want to stress in the UK not worldwide but he's a known fighter so he's got a pretty solid record and when I look at Josh Warrington again I'm known I, I know about him 
the only reason I really know about him is his duology with uh, Mauricio Lara. That's the only reason I even know about him because I'm aware of Mauricio Lara. He's fought. He also fought uh, Kid Galahad, and he barely got out of that one. <laughs> um, let's be honest. He barely got out of that one. Both guys were undefeated. It was an exciting fight. It's 2019. Exciting fight. He barely gets out of that one. So Kid Galahad, it's interesting. He's kind of in this mix where he's looking like he should be the, the top guy, but then due to whatever chicanery, something happens and he's not. And these other ones are moving forward and he's kind of standing still. So, I'm, and I'm focusing on Kid Galahad because this is a common opponent for these two. So if you wanted to do any kind of research on the fight to get a sense of what's likely to happen, then I would look at Kid Galahad because he that's the shared common opponent. But Kid Galahad himself, I'm not saying he's a super high-rated fighter. It's just he's a well-known one. He's fought a lot, mostly regional, and he always brings it. He's always a challenge to anybody that fights. So I I don't know how to call Ritson Zlatkanen at all. I suspect Zlatkanen's going to easily win, but I could have that way wrong. And as far as Martinez and Josh Warrington, it's it's hard to say because we don't know what led up we know physically like what we saw but internally the mental we don't know what led up to martinez being able to do what he did to kid galahad i suspect josh warrington gets the win in a sketchy uh, meaning that nobody agrees with the decision that happens i don't think he goes to a knockout i could get that wrong but it's for a title so i think both guys are going to come at it i think it's going to be a good fight for as long as it lasts i just think that josh warrington I think he's going to get, let's say, an undeserved victory. I don't want to make any other illusions, but that's what I see. Also happening tomorrow, and I'm, let's see, yeah, this is in the U.S., in Minneapolis. Uh, Tim Zhu making his United States debut as a as a pro. United States debut against Terrell Gausha. The undercards, again, not going to thrill you hardly at all, I suspect. Tim Zhu, of course, we know what he is. He kind of transitioned from prospect. And if you listen to our Lifeblood of Boxing series, you heard me break down kind of how his rise kind of started with his absolute shocking destruction of Jeff the Hornet Horn. But he's he's another one of those that's that's done. He's it looks like he's more than what his his record is obviously pristine, but I'm saying his opposition. His opposition hasn't really thrilled. And every time that we see him, it seems like he's got something and he's still developing. He's still growing. So we need to give him a little bit more time to grow and develop and get better. And it seems like he is doing so. He's taking some soft touches that are, that's okay. I think his notable win right now and for the foreseeable future is going to be against Jeff Horn. We got to look at Dennis Hulk Hogan and the win over Hogan, but the problem with that is that Hogan wasn't highly regarded. He just was well-known. But that was a stoppage. That was 2021 in uh, the first quarter. He took soft touches and then another step up in Takeshi Inoue. That was just in November. That one is the, I don't think it was the first time Zoo's been taking the distance, but it was rare to see him taking the distance. So we don't know if that's because of something with Zoo or something with Inoue being better than what he seemed. Because Inoue, I didn't highly rate him as a fighter. But being able to take Tim Zhu the distance fresh off a knockout streak or stoppage streak, I think that's that screams a lot. So I know he may be one to pay attention to in the future. But who knows? It may simply be that 
you know, he's better than what we think he is. I will say this though, Inouye's most notable other achievement other than taking Tim Zhu the distance is taking people's eye test in Jaime Munguia the distance, and that was in 2019. So it could just be that Inouye's underrated as well as a, because he's kind of prospect level and his resume, obviously he's a pro, but I'm saying the, the record. So it could be that Inouye's just underrated, understated right now, and he's also on the growth, and unfortunately he met these guys just too early in his career in Munguia and Zoo, that's possible. But I think it's impressive, even in loss, to to be able to take those two guys the distance. I think we need to kind of look at that a little bit deeper. Of this one, and then Terrell Gausha, let me just talk about him real quick. Because again, I'm aware of Terrell Gausha, have not followed Terrell Gausha. I know that Terrell Gausha, he's one of those eye test fighters. His biggest win probably is Erickson Lubin, would be my guess, of fighters that still have potential but his biggest win and I don't even think he won that I think it went to a draw because I know he fought no doubt Trout back in 2019 I think that went to a draw I'm pretty sure it did so and then Arislandi Lara and then Lara just schooled him so and then that's expected so if to me Erickson Lubin is going to be the biggest win of his career and they had a roughly equivalent record at the time but it's Erickson Lubin Outside of that, he's been very carefully placed against guys that he should beat. And that's not a ding on him. He doesn't pick the fighters. I'm saying that he's been placed against guys that he should beat. And as a result, it's not like his record is stellar or amazing, but I think it may have helped him as he as he grows to kind of put himself in this contention against the top level without kind of burning out like we see with some other guys, like with Bum Langer recently, where they just get placed too soon and all sorts of stuff happen. Or it's that an opponent that beats him so bad that we didn't expect to beat him steps up. That might happen here. And that's the reason I'm calling that out is I don't see a path for Terrell Gausha to beat Tim Zhu number one. And I suspect that Tim Zhu leaves him stiff. Now I say that, but... If I look at the parallels here, the closest parallel to this fight I can call out would be Nassim Hamed when he made his U.S. debut as a pro against Kevin Kelly. Because it, from an origin country perspective, it's the same situation. And from an explosive knockout on this good overseas perspective, it's the same thing. And you're dealing with a rugged fighter in Gausha. It's not like he's a he's not a soft touch. <laughs> he's going to come to fight. I just think that Tim Zhu appears to be a superior fighter but it could also go the same way as with Hamed and Kelly. Now, Tim Zhu, as a fighter, comparing him to Nassim Hamed, I'm not directly saying that Tim Zhu is the same quality of fighter as with Nassim Hamed. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that we could see a situation where Gausha is able to expose some kinks in the armor. Remember that Kevin Kelly, he basically exposed the leaky defense for Nassim Hamed, but Kevin Kelly wasn't able to fully capitalize on it because Hamed just basically went after it. He knew it was his he knew it was his come out. He knew that he was on a world stage and he arguably should be celebrated for how he was able to come back from the whooping that Kevin Kelly initially was putting on him and get the stoppage the way he did. He wasn't going to be denied. So that could happen here. I'm saying that Gausha could pull some shots that exposes holes in the defensive game. With Hamed, it wasn't until Barrera that we were able to finally exploit those holes 
Hamed had also been very positioned to fight guys he should beat up until he met Barrera, and arguably he should have beat Barrera. I, I maintain he should not have lost that fight. So that's if you're going to dial into this one, that's one thing we should look at is does Tim Zhu, when he's in these bright lights here in the United States against a guy that has some pretty solid punch to him, is he able to do the same kind of blitzing that he was do, that he was doing before against the other guys? Or is Gausha able to expose some of those flaws on the world stage and kind of rebuild himself? I think this is the more compelling of the fights that are going to happen here this weekend is Zhu and Gausha because they're going to learn a lot about both guys. We're going to learn if Gausha was just a one trick or if Gausha is able to expose kinks in Tim Zhu's armor, which is ironic that it's going to be taking place at the armory out in Minneapolis. So that one's going to be good to watch. Of course, again, the I don't think the undercard's going to really thrill you too much, in my opinion. That one's happening on Showtime. I hope it's not pay-per-view because it doesn't feel like a pay-per-view. Hopefully it takes place on Showbox, but I'm not sure. I just know it's on Showtime. They're the ones broadcasting it. And then there's a couple of the fights I don't know anything about either guy in the uh, in some of these. Uh, Mobili versus Muhammad Adi. That one's happening at that super middleweight. And by the way, uh, Zoo and Gausha is at super welterweight 154. If you didn't know from the Erislandi Lara and Erickson Lubin opponent. But uh, at super middleweight, Mobili and Mohamedi, that one's happening at Montreal, Quebec, Montreal Casino in Quebec. Don't know anything about either guy. I can't provide any fair coverage because I don't know anything about either guy. The other one that I think is going to get some eyes out here, out here in Vegas at the Resorts World. This one's going to be broadcast on ESPN, so it's probably top rank. And then Sky Sports. Miguel Bercheltz making his return against Nakathelia. And the undercard, I, I guarantee you, the undercard's not going to thrill you on this one. I'm going to cover this. I've not, I'm aware of Bruchelt kind of at a surface level. I'm not aware of Nakatila other than by name. I've heard of him, but I don't know very much about the guy. So I don't want to be unfair to him, but I am aware of Bruchelt. Of course, the signature thing with Bruchelt and Bruchelt, he's, he's taken some losses. He's kind of, he's not like washed or out of date or any of that. He's, he's early thirties. He's still got some potential. Bershelt was positioned as this knockout artist that is a threat to everybody in the division and everybody's ducking him and all this. But Bershelt debuted in 2010. And if you remember, if you heard my lifeblood about Jeff Horn, Jeff Horn also debuted very late in the game. So Bershelt, he, he, he's 30 years old, so he's a young guy still. Yes, he had significant knockouts, but we also have to look at the level of opposition that he was fighting at the time. There are points that people said that this guy potentially could beat Lomachenko, that this guy could potentially beat Tank Davis, that this guy could potentially beat Shakur Stevenson, that this guy could potentially beat Jojo Diaz. There was all sorts of hype around Burchelt. And I, I don't like seeing that fighters get overhyped like I see here where we're not acknowledging flaws in the man's game. That's not to say he's a bum or he's a lesser whatever. Da, da, da. Just we have to kind of bring ourselves back down to earth when we regard and rate and, and evaluate these fighters, Burchelt has been very, very strategically positioned. That's not saying anything negative about the guy. I'm saying that he's been very strategically positioned to emphasize himself against guys he's supposed to beat. Like, that's when I say positioning, that's basically what I'm talking about. If you've been positioned against guys you're supposed to beat, that's positioning. We're saying 
we we want to preserve you. We want to make sure that you get a long, successful career in the business. And so he's been very heavily positioned. The first loss that Burchelt ever took was quite a long time ago. When Burchelt debuted, he was going on a major knockout mission. In 2014, he encounters Luis Flores, and Luis Flores sparks him out in the first. Now, he's been solid since then, so we're not saying that that was the end of him. He was solid since then. It's very similar to Carlos Ocampo. When Ocampo met Spence early in Ocampo's career, and Spence stopped him at his own game, or with Canelo, where Canelo was still young, and Floyd was able to dominate him the way he was. And then guys go on to success. So it's not like they're at the end of their career, but we got to be realistic in the in the pump and the hype. And we look at the level of opposition the guy is fighting. Luis Flores, the reason I gave that breakdown, Luis Flores at the time was essentially a prospect, an eye test prospect. Every fighter that he's fought has either been an eye test prospect or kind of at the tail end of the career or for whatever reason has had some issues going on and so if you look at the best names on his record, we're talking guys that were either at the tail end or there was some other issue or something else. I would argue that his best win is, it's a toss up, but to me, it's gonna be Francisco Vargas. Francisco Vargas, he fought him twice. He fought him in 2017, he fought him in 2019. He got a knockout and then a stoppage. I think that's the best, those are the best wins of that man's career is Francisco Vargas. From my perspective, then he fought Oscar Valdez just last year in February. Valdez knocks him out in the 10th in an amazing fight. That was an amazing fight. You should watch it. I recommend it. But this is Oscar Valdez. <laughs> Oscar Valdez, the, the, the story of that one, of course, then later Valdez would test positive for PEDs and he had all sorts of issues and he's coming back now. I believe he's about to fight Shakur Stevenson here soon. So we don't know if Valdez was on PEDs when he fought Burchelt. The point is, Burchelt has stepped up twice from my perspective. Francisco Vargas, Oscar Valdez. And I want to put that out because let's look at Francisco Vargas and the reason I say that the best win on his record is Francisco Vargas. Francisco Vargas is a very, he's he started late as well. His record belies where he was as a fighter. He has not fought significantly. And so he shouldn't be the best win on Burchelt's record. But he has no choice to be because Burchelt only stepped up the two times and the other time he stepped up, he got knocked out, right? So we can't, I'm saying it's the best win on the record so that you can go and do an evaluation and do whatever research you want to do prior to the fight. Of course, Francisco Vargas, who Burchelt's able to handle pretty easily, goes and he has, he's not lost significantly either because he's a warrior. But at the same time, Francisco Vargas hadn't really stepped up either. The biggest step up that I would call that he had prior to Burchelt was against Siri Salido in 2016. And that one went to a majority draw because it was a war. And every time it, every time Francisco Vargas goes to war, he brings it. So if it's a warrior like Siri Salido is, then of course <laughs> we're not going to really get a resolution unless it's a robbery. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that Francisco Vargas, he is... He's the best win on Burchelt's resume, but we can't highly regard Francisco Vargas. And then the only other step up Burchelt's had knocked him out in uh, Oscar Valdez. 
but we can't know if Oscar Valdez was on PEDs. So he's been positioned. He's been very strategically positioned against these guys. So we don't really know where he is. I'm saying we shouldn't overhype him because he hasn't had a chance to really test himself. Then Nakathila, again, I don't know very much about the dude. It's taking place in the U.S., so I'm optimistic that it will go to a good resolution and it'll get him what he should get, uh, which is recognition on a world stage. I will tell you that Nakatila has fought Shakur Stevenson in the past, that was in June, and Shakur Stevenson completely dominated him as expected. And other than that, he's not, he doesn't really have very many people that you wouldn't know anybody else on the guy's record with maybe one exception. Uh, I'm talking Nakatila. So this should be a very soft touch for Rochelle, designed to make him look good uh, on the rebound from the Oscar Valdez win. I wouldn't expect too much of the fight. I would say Nakatila has power. So if you are able to get away from his power, you shouldn't have an issue with him. But Burchelt's not one to avoid smoke. He seems to want to go to war. So it's possible that Nakatila's had to pull it out. I just don't see it. I don't personally rate um, Nakatila as a fighter. And for Burchelt, again, it's a, it's a very careful positioning. It's designed to help him showcase back up to the top level so that they can continue overrating him again. So Burchelt and Nakatila, if you're going to watch that guy, that's at lightweight, that's at the resorts in Las Vegas on ESPN, probably by top rank, and then Sky Sports. Lee Selby's making his return at lightweight. That's taking place in Argentina. I don't know why, but that's taking place in Argentina at the Estadio Luna Park. That's happening on Premier Sports. That's a UK thing for those that don't know. I have no idea who his opponent is. I've never heard of the guy. I, I see the name, but I don't know anything about him. And then there's a couple other fights. I'm going to just cover the ones that I think are worth the time. So there's quite a few fights that are just, they're just regional. So like there's a fight in South Africa. There's a fight in the uh, first direct arena in uh, Yorkshire. There's a fight in Orlando, but these are guys that you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know them um, by name. The only one I see, yeah, that's on 26. The only one I see is, well, kind of sort of, I guess he counts. I guess he counts. Uh, let's see. Not him. Uh, Bogdan Dinu, he's in South Africa, or he's fighting rather in South Africa against a guy, uh, Kevin Lorena. Never heard of Kevin Lorena. And Bogdan Dinu, I don't really rate him hardly at all. Bogdan Dinu, most known for getting knocked out in two rounds by Dubois back in uh, June, and then getting knocked out in seven by Pulev in 2019, and then getting knocked out in four by Big Pharma Miller back in 2018. So, so he's most known for getting knocked out is what I'm saying. That's why I'm not, that's why I say, I don't know if you want to watch that one. It's up to you. Uh, if you do want to find it and watch that, it's in the emperor's palace in South Africa. If you're out there, I don't even know who's broadcasting. It may not be aired. I don't see a broadcaster. So that's all happening this Saturday. And then I'll cover another fight. That's kind of off cycle because it's, it's unusual cycle. This is happening on Tuesday and this one's going to be the rematch between and I got to tell the story just so that we're clear, but it's the rematch between um, Panya Perdabsri and Juanje Miniothan. And this is at minimum weight for the WBC minimum weight title. It's happening out in Thailand. And the reason I'm talking about this one and why I think you should watch it, even though it's minimum weight, like the tight, smallest guys you can think of. 
So the story behind this fight, Juan Hangman Yothan, there was a point in time where NSB and other places were hyping this dude because he was hitting 47-0 and 48-0 and 49-0. And then Floyd, of course, he beat Conor McGregor for 50-0 and and people didn't like it because they didn't think it should count even though Conor McGregor had a pro license. So then Floyd retired at 50-0 and officially. He's still doing exhibitions every now and then when he feels like it, but he retired 50-0 and and said, I'm happy, I'm satisfied. I don't need to prove myself to any of you guys. I don't need to go after titles again. And I'm 40-something years old. I think he's 43 now. So the story is that Juan Hangmini Yothan, when you have the minimum weight guys, there's a lot of them, but very few of them are any good. And so you can pad your record a lot. Like Mini Yothan, like his worst one, I think had 44 losses or some crazy record. And he fought like some guys like three times. And so he has a very padded record, very heavily padded record. And then near the end of this whole business, he's getting close to 50, and 0, and people like people on NSB and other places are cheering and hyping and, oh, he's going to beat Floyd's record. He's the new TBE and all this because they don't really care about Miniotin. They just hate Floyd. That was the, that was the narrative back then is okay. He's going to beat Floyd. He's TBE. He's going to do all this other stuff. And Golden Boy starts hyping this guy because initially he was all regional. He wasn't really standout. He was just, he was, he wasn't even televised. Many of his fights weren't even televised. You had to find him on YouTube, assuming they were posted. But they were just hyping him, hyping him, hyping him, hyping him, hyping him because of what was happening. So with all this hype and all this chatter and all this stuff that's going on with the poor guy, and he's just fighting, like he's just fighting and they don't make a lot of money. These minimum weights don't make a lot of money at all. And so it's obvious he loves the business. It's obviously he likes to fight. So he's just going out there doing what he's doing. We get close to this, up to this point, And now he's coming up against a guy called Leroy Estrada. And Leroy Estrada at the time was probably the most dangerous, I'll say overall opponent he wasn't undefeated, but he was just a solid fighter with a solid resume and a solid record. There's now this, they're starting to build the fight. They're starting to sell it because they're selling this narrative that this guy's about to take over Floyd or match at least Floyd's record of 50 and 0. And we want to see, because we hate Floyd, we want to see somebody beat this, beat this record. So now this Leroy Estrada, he's actually a good fighter he's a really good fighter and he he's coming out saying you're not gonna you're not gonna match for his record i'm gonna stop you i'm gonna be the one to do that fight happens and mini yotin stops him i think it was five rounds stops him and then mini yotin keeps going so he beats floyd's record with padded increasingly padded like he fought like three times in 2018 padded people and then he fought a couple times in 2019 i believe it was the conco fight might have been fukuhara and Fukuhara, I believe, was a rematch. But I think it was the Conco fight, one of the two. It was one of the two where he got a, a technical draw. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was, or a technical decision, not draw. Technical decision. So it didn't really count as a win, but they gave him the win technical. Because I think it was a headbutt. And then he beats, and then he gets to like 53-0 and or 54-0. and And then he announces, okay, I'm retiring, I'm done. NSB and other places go nuts. He's the new TVE. He's the top guy. Floyd's not TVE. To the point that somebody told Jeff Mayweather to go around with a microphone and interview people and say, is this guy the new TVE because he beat Floyd's record? Like, because they're making a joke that's like, a, and then Floyd even had to acknowledge it, saying this, this Asian kid, and they're saying he's TVE. 
and everybody's trying to tell NSB and other places, it's like, you gotta look at who he beat and when he beat them and the quality of the resume. The guy with 44 losses, Jack Amiza, that was like a signature win for him at the time because nobody else had that many, that credential of, of fight than Jack Amiza. He fought Jack Amiza like three or four times. So, and then some guys on a fresh debut, some guys that had no wins. Like, when you look at the totality of his record, it was a joke for all these places to hype this guy's TBE. But they were hyping him, hyping him. And then when he retires, they're definitely hyping him. Okay, new record, new king. Somebody gets, <laughs> and we think it's Oscar, but somebody gets in Manny Yosin's ear. And they say, you can still go. And so he comes out of retirement. He comes out of retirement, and he's going to fight Panya Pradabzri. Pan, that's the next fight. I remember that. Panya Pradabzri beats him by decision. Everything shuts down. All these people that are hyping him as TBE, they're all gone. They're all silent. They're all pissed because Floyd still holds the record. And the record, so that those are clear, it's not about like Julio Cesar Chavez and had 87 fights before he lost. It is at the time you retired, were you undefeated and how many fights did you win before you retired? Because Chavez was still fighting and he took a loss before he retired, his record doesn't count in what they're measuring. The record is, I had this many wins before I retired. So guys like Sven Otke have a really high number because he retired before he took a loss. That was always the measure. And so with this one, yes, at one point he had beaten Floyd's record 54-0. Somebody got in his ear and told him to come back and fight again, and he did, and in that next fight, he takes a loss. People speculated because of the tinfoil that somebody in Floyd's camp is who told him to come back and fight again, and then somehow strategically position him to take a loss so that it would stop the narrative. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it seemed to work in stopping the narrative. So this Panya Pradabzri is a rematch of that fight. So I'd wanted to set that stage of what that is. Juan Hangmini Yothan would fight another fight after the first, after this loss to Pradabzri, and he would fight uh, Renpit, and Renpit, that was a knockout, that was, that was a soft touch, it was an easy, it was a get-back fight, that's what it was. So now the story behind this is he's fighting Pradabzri, and Pradabzri's no slouch fighter. He's actually a very good fighter too. And it's Juan Hang's chance to at least avenge the loss. So we need to give him credit. And I'll say this, Juan Hang Mini Yotun's actually a very good fighter. He's actually a very sound, solid fighter. But it's just the weight class he's in doesn't really have that many solid opponents for him to have fought. He fought everybody he could. He fought everybody was there. The only guy he never fought, if I recall, or maybe that was Srisket that I'm thinking of, but there was somebody he never fought that I think he should have fought and he never fought him. Other than that one guy that escapes me at the moment, this guy is solid. This guy is as, as sound as they come. He's a very good fighter. He's a very powerful fighter. He's a very fast fighter. He's what you would want in a boxer. At some point, he's probably going to be on lifeblooded boxing, to be honest, because of not who he fought, but his, you know, his style and his game and how he comes. He fought everybody he could with one exception. And so this rematch, I don't know that it does anything to move the needle because it's minimum weight, but it does, it screams credibility when he says, you know, I want to avenge that rematch. And he's not stopping just because he took a loss, right? He's not treating it as it killed his career or that he's done. I question who told him to keep fighting and why he wouldn't have just hung it up and been done with it. 
But once he got aligned with Golden Boy, I knew that I knew something was going to happen because again, they just they're just using him. They're just using him for the notoriety and the chatter. I mean, his beating Floyd's record at that point got all sorts of mainstream. I mean, it got all sorts of coverage. They were hyping this. They were hyping it, and I think that caused him to take the loss to Bradabsri. That I believe that. So. Juan Minyothan versus Panya Pardabsri. That's happening on Tuesday, which, as I said, is weird. That's out in Thailand at the City Hall ground in Nakhon Sawan. If you're local to that area, you're in Thailand. I don't think I have any Thailand listeners, but if you're in Thailand, I I don't think it's going to be aired. I, I would guess it's not aired. But if you're interested in just solid fights, I can tell you right now that's going to be a war. Those guys are going to go after each other. Not because there's any beef, not because there's any animosity, but you got to understand at the minimum weight, these guys got nothing to lose. They got nothing to lose, and they're all warriors. Even if they're not that good, they're all going out there trying to win because they're not paid the high salaries. They're not paid the millions of bucks. And this guy, who's probably the most notable in that division, they're not paid the significant millions of dollars to duck fights. They're paid very little. Uh, compared to the other weight classes and so all they have is the fight game because they got to feed their families they got to get it they got to get some check so they're out there fighting a lot you see them fighting on a more frequent basis there was one point i think he fought like six times in one year actually seven so yeah they fight they go and they do it and so i know that there's a bias against the little guys and we want the heavyweights back but you see what's happened with the heavyweight division right now the top guy arguably in the heavyweight divisions out helping fight a war. The other guy that's right that's supposed to be fighting him doesn't want to fight Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder's out basically drinking something that makes you puke and doing some soul searching. And then you got things like Ruiz and Ortiz and Dillian White and Big Baby and all and Derek Chisora and guys that we don't really want to see necessarily because they're not what we expect when we think back to the hard days of heavyweight. So heavyweights having issues. Cruiserweights having issues. Light heavyweights having issues. It's only because Canelo's coming in the mix that that's getting back to some credibility. So you had to take a a former super welterweight in order to reignite faith in the light heavyweight division. And then you got Kovalev. We don't know what's going on there. Like all these other divisions, they're kind of stale. I would argue that 154 is pretty hype right now. I would argue that 168 is kind of getting back to hype a little bit, not much. I would say 160 stale. I would say 147 is getting back a little bit, but not a lot. 140 stale. 135 is a little bit like there's this little bit of energy to things. But generally speaking, it's these guys. This is minimum weight and then super flyweight. Those are and flyweight. Those are the three where the action is. So if you're if you've been like watching boxing for years and then at some point you just got tired of it, you got tired of the ducking and tired of the lack of action of some of the guys that, you know, like the like the Claudies of the world and that kind of stuff. I'm telling you right now, it's because everything's shifted. The little guys that don't get the big paydays, that's where the action you're used to, that's where it is, that's where it went. It's still there, but it's not in the big guys. So you gotta have to let go of that. And Mini Yotin's one of those, Pradabzer's one of those. So if it is aired, I don't think it's aired, but if it is, try to catch that fight. Cause I'm telling you right now, it's gonna be one that you're not gonna wanna miss. It's a barn burner, they're gonna go to war. You're talking two different, uh, they're probably the best in the division right there, those two. And when when is the last time you saw the true best in the two divisions, uh, two, two best in a division go at it like this one? 
right? You're about to see that in Spence and Ugas because they're arguably the two best in 147. But outside of that, you don't really see that too often. I would say Charlotte Castaño, but I don't rate Castaño as one of the best in 154. Even though it's a unification, I don't see Charlotte, I don't see Castaño, I don't rate Castaño that high. Like it felt to me like Lara completely beat him easy and then took easy on him. I don't rate Castaño that much, but I recognize it's the unification. But with 147, Ugas beat the man. Spence has been the man on the other side, so that's easily the top two. Easily the top two, no matter what the NSBs and naysayers are. So if you're into the the action of boxing and that's what you miss and that's what you crave, you got to look in the smaller weight classes. I'm telling you that right now. Go down the weight. Stop waiting on the heavyweights. The Wilder Fury thing is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that we probably won't see again. I don't think in our lifetimes. Maybe we do, but I doubt it. So, that one's happening on Tuesday. If you want to check that out, Juan Hing, uh, yeah, uh, excuse me. Yeah, Juan Hing Miniothan, he has another name, Shiafan Munzri, sorry. Juan Hing Miniothan, Apanya Pradabzri. Check that out on Tuesday if you get a chance to see that. That's all that's happening on this weekend. I'm going to cover a couple other quick bits, and then we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, there's a couple other, they're not news, but just events, I'll say, that happen. So, I don't know if you heard the story around uh, Tank Davis, Javante Tank Davis. Apparently, he put some messages out that made it seem like he was going to be leaving Mayweather Promotions. And it was driven off of what he said on a, on a show somewhere. He said that the only reason he's fighting Raleigh Romero now is because it's his last fight on the contract. And so he had to do it because apparently Leonard Ellerby wanted the fight. Now, Leonard Ellerby said that Tank and Raleigh both wanted to fight each other. The beef is strong and they wanted to get this done. Now we're hearing that Tank doesn't really want to fight this guy and he would he's fighting because it's the last fight on the contract and he wants to get it done. Some people speculated, okay, well, this might be Tank getting robbed on the way out or something happened that we don't want to see. And that was kind of the chatter happening there. I don't know what the story is. I do know that people have asked because Tank Davis is actually ranked. He's ranked at 135, even though he doesn't campaign at 135 on a regular basis. He's been campaigning a different weight class, but he's ranked at 135. And so people were speculating he might fight CM Punk Cambozas. Or that we eventually might see the Devin Haney fight that we've been chomping at the bit for, for Floyd's love, or some other fight that is with somebody of more repute than like Isak Cruz. That's not happening. And so people are wondering what's going on with Tank Davis. Tank has good names on the record. No matter what you say, he's got good names on the record. He draws money. He's a, he's a draw. And so I think that's the goal Mayweather Promotions is trying to do is create them as a draw position them to where they can then call the shots on any fight that they want but it might be harder now like it's harder now for tank to step up and say i i deserve a shot at cm punk cambosas just because of who i am no because cambosas he arguably calls the shots on who he's going to fight because of the belts he holds like that's i think that's where mayweather promotions might be trying to do it is to say let's get you to the point like canelo where it doesn't matter that you don't have the belts going in, you can call those shots because you're the money draw and you're the one, you're the A side. Where other people are kind of getting in Tank's ear, telling him, you should fight these other guys. You should fight the Lomachenkos of the world and the Devin Haney's of the world, etc. And that's what I think is happening, a tug of war between how do we position you where you don't need the belts versus 
I want to go after her legacy and go after these guys that have these titles. That's my theory. I don't have any evidence, but that's my theory. That's what I think is happening there. And then on another fight that happened this past that I didn't cover or talk about because I didn't think it was worth anything, frankly. But this happened, I think this might even happen today. I'm not sure. Or actually, no, it happened Thursday. This happened this past week, so I wouldn't have covered it. And I think the announcement came late. I, I don't remember. Curtis Stevens came back. He made a comeback after a very long layoff. And most people only remember Curtis Stevens off that meme that was floating around social media with him looking up in shock after Glocken dropped him. And he was going to come back and he said, I'm going back, going back on the path and I can do da 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 and he was fighting Josh Conley. Josh Conley's most known for getting stopped by J-Rock. I think that's the most most anybody really knows about this dude. So I think from a betting odds perspective, Curtis Stevens was expected to completely destroy this dude. Uh, did not happen. <laughs> Unfortunately, Stevens was getting absolutely destroyed. And then it went to a decision. And it was a very short fight. It didn't last the full. Um, but... Or it didn't last the normal. I shouldn't say full. It didn't last the normal. And Conley was coming off of a layoff too. So it wasn't like Conley was at the peak of his game. This is a fight Stevenson shouldn't have lost. But Stevenson's mind hasn't been right since the Golovkin fight. Nobody questioned why he was coming back. Stevenson before this, Wally Amatoso had stopped him pretty quick. Stevenson had already been on. I, I'm telling you, Stevenson had been on the decline since he fought Golovkin. Nobody knew why this Nobody knew why this fight had to happen. It didn't make any sense. So I call that out just because if you didn't see the fight, and I didn't see the fight, I didn't even know what was happening. I know the announcement came later, um, but yeah, that happened. The other one is Dillian White. Dillian White has been trying to pull A-side stuff. He's refused to help sell the fight against Tyson Fury. Nobody really wants to fight against Fury and Dillian White. And then, of course, Fury has claimed he's going to retire after that fight, saying, he's got, I got nothing left to prove here. And that's, you know, we nobody agrees because we we all wanted to see Fury and Uzik for a unification. That's probably not going to happen because Uzik is, of course, fighting. And nobody hates on Uzik for fighting. But we do think that, you know, the division has to go on. Everything has to go on with boxing. And it's holding it hostage when you've got something like this happening. And we should come to some decision. Hopefully something happens. I don't know. But hopefully something happens that we don't see. If Fury's going to retire... It vacates the titles and puts us right back to scratch. And then what you'll see, I would predict, is Wilder comes back. He takes a fight because he's for the vacant. He takes a fight against somebody, gets his WBC back, and then the ring goes vacant because it's not the top guy. That's my theory. And Amir Khan, after he got completely destroyed by Kell Brook, as we covered on the show, apparently Amir Khan's promoter is talking about Khan wanting a rematch against Kell Brook that nobody wants. Nobody knows why he's asking. Nobody knows what the point is. And we hope that there's no press to get that done because there's absolutely no reason for Khan to get back in the ring. I can leave it at that, but there's certainly no reason for him to get back in the ring against Kell Brook. That was a very, it's like, it's not, there's no reason the way he got destroyed. There's just no reason to do it. No reason. Absolutely no reason whatsoever. So that's the other big point that I wanted to cover there. And then at the top, or the last, I'll say the climax here. Apparently, what we're hearing is that CM Punk Cambosas is going to be fighting Devin Haney in Australia for full unification of 135. And this is fresh off Lomachenko, who had gone over to fight in Ukraine. 
And initially there was chatter he was going to come back so that he could fight because Lomachenko was in the lead. Lomachenko's the one they wanted to fight more than anything, and I wanted that fight. Unfortunately, it sounds like it's going to be Devin Haney. That's what I'm hearing. Nothing signed, and apparently Devin has to go over to Australia for some things. So that's up in the air, but that's what it's looking like is going to happen. For those that like full unification, that's an exciting thing, I guess, because then you got Charlo and Castaño. That's a full unification. Then you got this one over here. Uh, that would be a full unification. So those are happening. I'm just disappointed um, that it's not the right fighter for an exciting fight because I don't think I think Devin's going to stink up the joint on route to a win. And that's not banging on Haney. I just don't think he's an exciting fighter. And I want exciting fighters, as we talk about on Lifeblood of Boxing. I want ones that convince the fans they belong here. Now, it's possible that Haney gets drawn into war by CM Punk. That's possible. I just don't see it happening. I think he's going to run because of what happened with, I think it was Linares. Whoever it was that, that wobbled him, pieced him and wobbled him, I think he's going to run and it's going to be a boring decision. And I don't think Kimbosa is going to be able to catch him. Now, I could be way off. Could be that he pulls it out and shocks the world. I'm celebrating for him to do that. I just don't see that happening in my own prediction. That's all I'm going to cover here on this weekend's boxing. I want to keep it tight and smooth. So combattalkradio.net is, of course, the site. And again, just to stress, there are two programs under the show, Combat Talk Radio. Masterpiece Boxing is what you're just hearing here. Every single Friday, we cover what's coming and what we think are worth your time and anything that's happening that we think is worth your time. And we do a little bit of analysis and what we think, give a little bit of prediction. We don't go too deep into it unless it's a really top level fight, which I don't think we have that this weekend, in my opinion. And then on the other side, we've got lifeblood of boxing that celebrates those fighters that really excite us, that tell us that boxing is still alive and it's worth watching. That's where you're never going to see Devin Haney. You're never going to see Shakur Stevenson, right? But you're likely going to see Tank Davis at some point. Guys that go out there and actually fight. Guys that go out there and try to get the guy out of there. That's who's in lifeblood of boxing. So there's going to be those two programs going forward. It doesn't matter which side you're interested in. We want you to experience both sides. And then just a quick announcement in the future, and we're working on it, but it's hard because of some of these. But in the future, there's going to be a third program. The third program is going to focus. You know what? I'm not even going to spoil it. Just know there's going to be a third program. And the third program, I guarantee you, you don't want to miss it. CombatTalkRadio.net. I will check in with you guys. I don't know that I'll catch any of these fights. Zoo and Gasha, probably I'll watch that one. If I do catch it tomorrow, then I'll probably do a post synopsis and check in with you guys and see what's going on. And that would be on either late Saturday or Sunday. If not, then I'll check in with you guys on next Friday for our next episode of Masterpiece Boxing.